you have your Bible and you want to turn to Luke 7, continuing in our summer sermon series about the sayings and deeds of Christ, in Luke 7, it's in the New Testament and the Gospels there, so sort of in the back third of your Bible. It's on page 1808 in my Bible, I don't know if that helps you at all, but go ahead and turn there. Luke 7, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Luke 7, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves you to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this. He was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant. Well, that's one more time. Go back to the Lord and ask him to bless this time of Bible study together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that you would take these words and make them yours, Father. I pray that you would empty me of myself and I pray that you would speak through me. Allow your spirit to come through, that you would speak the words that you desire us to hear. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, Father. I pray that you would help us to take what it is that we hear and not just to hear it, but to take these words and to... Bring them into our lives to apply them beyond these doors, Father. I pray that you would open us up and make us willing vessels to live out a life committed to you in faith. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. I don't think it's a big secret that I really enjoy sports. Probably not revealing anything that most of you, if you spent any amount of time around me, know. But I think one of the things that me, alongside other people, really enjoy about sports is the unpredictable nature of sports. When you think about the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness, if you will. And most of you, even if you're not interested in NCAA basketball will fill out, what, a bracket, right? And everybody watches, 
to see two things in March Madness. Number one, how is your bracket doing? That's always the first question. And number two, the upsets, right? Everybody wants, everybody wants to see the upsets. Nobody wants to see the number one seeds all advance to the final four. Everybody wants the upsets. That's one of the things that I think we love about sports is the unpredictable nature of sports, the upsets that we see throughout all, all types of sports and everywhere that we see. And that if we knew that the better team was always going to win, we probably wouldn't tune in to watch because that would be boring because then you, just, you would already know what was going to happen before it happened. But we love the upsets, and so that's why we watch, is, is because we get to see things that, that aren't predicted to happen. When we look at the story here, the faith of the centurion is sort of an upset, if you will. Because as you understand the context of where Jesus was and what was going on at the time, the Romans were an occupying force. And they weren't really like a kind, gentle, kind of pat you on the top of the head and let you go about your business occupying force. No, they were a domineering very good at what they did occupying force. And they were good at what they did because they pressed people down. And at any hint of insurrection, they stamped it out. Well, that doesn't really bring up lots of warm, fuzzy feelings in the people that have been conquered there. I mean, first of all, they're being conquered. And then second of all, they're being, you know, completely stamped down. And yet here in this passage, we see as Jesus encounters the centurion, he has faith in Jesus. And Jesus, who is Jewish, who came and was conducting his ministry primarily among the Jews, encounters this Roman centurion and his incredible faith. And Jesus is amazed at his faith. And so I think that as we see his faith and as we examine his faith, we see that it's a bit of an upset here. Have to understand the context in which this happens. Jesus has just finished. If you look back in, in Luke chapter six, the Sermon on the Plain, which is the companion sermon to the Sermon on the Mount, essentially Jesus' most famous sermon, his most famous teaching. And Jesus has kind of gone through and he sort of makes four main points here. And he talks about, first of all, loving your enemies. Second of all, He talks about worrying about your own sin and not the sin of other people. He talks about bearing fruit within your spiritual life. And then he talks about basing your life on God alone. So those are kind of the four points that he makes. And then immediately after that happens, he then has this encounter with the centurion. As we think about these these four things that, that Jesus has kind of given us, to chew on a little bit here. And then immediately comes this, this picture of this. And Jesus gives us an opportunity to see this in action. Both in Jesus, in his own life. Because this Roman centurion, even though apparently he was the exception to the rule. Of these um, stringent captors of, of the, the Jewish people. He still, I mean, and he knows himself, the centurion. That, that Jesus could have told him to go take a hike. You know, I mean, here he is, this Roman centurion. He's asking this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish teacher to come heal him. And yet Jesus loves someone who is purportedly his enemy. So as we think about those things, when we look at that, I mean, loving your enemies, 
Not worrying about what other people are doing. Bearing fruit in your spiritual life. Not worrying about other things in life, basing your life on Christ. Those are pretty easy things to do, right? I mean, check those off and we can all go home and get early lunch today, right? No. No. Those are unbelievably hard things to do. And those are things that as the centurion shows us, can only be accomplished through faith in a power that is beyond our own, that is given to us by a power that is not our own. The spiritual life, living a life that is committed to Christ, can only be done when we have faith in a power that is not our own, by a power that is not our own. Faith in a power that is not our own. There's an understanding there are some things that we just cannot do for ourselves. If you're anything like me, you will spend an hour or longer trying to do something by yourself rather than asking somebody for help. When if you just said, hey, can you help me lift this? It would take like five minutes. But no, you'd rather struggle with it the whole way and do it yourself because you don't want to ask for help. Because why? Because we are stubborn, selfish people. We don't like being in a place where we have to admit that we can't do something on our own. And yet, this is the whole idea of the Christian life. That here we are at a place. There are some things that we cannot do on our own. And this centurion was a powerful man. I mean, he says so to himself. And he sends these people to Jesus and he says, look. Here I am, I am this powerful man, but I don't have the ability to to heal my own servant. I can't do that. He recognizes his own limitations and he humbles himself to not only go ask Jesus for help, but also to not even come himself, but to send some other people to say, I'm not even worthy to come before you to ask. What humility that shows us. And the faith that he shows is in a power that's beyond himself. And there's a recognition that I think each one of us needs to come to. It says at some point we have to have a faith and a power beyond ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. When it comes to our salvation, we are fallen Sinful, broken people. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before. And I hate to be the one that breaks it to you. But you are a disgusting sinner. Just like me. And I know you probably came here for an uplifting message. And we'll get there. But the first thing we have to recognize is that we cannot do it ourselves. We are not capable of saving ourselves. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then, as it's almost as if Paul knew that we, we would kind of take that and, and then he says, not of works, so no one can boast. I mean, Paul's hammering us with this. I mean, this is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift, 
not of works. We are totally reliant upon God. All the status in the world, all the power in the world, all the things that maybe we see, they don't matter. We need to be like this centurion. We need to come humble. We can see that faith is the knowledge and the experience of Jesus that comes only when he reveals himself to us. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a list of all these things that we can and can't do and all of these things. Yes, those things are part of it. But at the center of it, those things come later. At the center of it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, then all of that other stuff is going to become a burden. And if we don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if we don't have faith in a power beyond ourselves, we're going to struggle and we're going to fight because we're going to try to do it in our own power. We're going to try to do it by ourselves. And we're not capable of doing that. It's just not possible. And so we have to come humbly and admit that we cannot do it ourselves. So it's faith and a power that is not our own. But it's given to us by a power that is not our own. We've already said, here's the bad news. The Christian life, it's hard. It is not easy to live the Christian life. There are all sorts of temptations to evil out there. If you're anything like me, sometimes you get comfortable, you get apathetic, sometimes you get lazy, sometimes you just don't want to be bothered with it. There are all kinds of ways we find that the Christian life is hard. It's not easy to love our neighbors all the time. It's not easy to look inward and look at our own sin instead of identifying the faults of others. I, I could pick out any number of things on everybody else. Somebody asked me to look at me. Oh, we got a problem. It's not easy to bear spiritual fruit in your life. Because we don't have the power to do it in and of ourselves. It's not easy to allow God to be the foundation of our lives because there's so many other things that tempt us that we want to have, that we want to build and base our lives upon. But yet we have the opportunity that we can have this faith that is given to us by a power that is not our own. There's faith that is given to us the gift, not of ourselves. And so the bad news is that it's hard to live the Christian life. But the good news is you're not supposed to do it by yourself. You're not supposed to do it in your own power. Jesus doesn't want superhero Christians that are out there charging the gates of hell with a water gun by themselves saying, hey, come on, everybody, let's do this. No. Jesus wants people that are like the centurion. They're humble. That recognize their limitations, recognize that they are fallen, broken, sinful people that don't have it all together. And are coming to him and saying, look, I'm just as screwed up as anybody else. I'm probably more screwed up than anybody else. I need you, Jesus, to fix me because I can't do it on my own. The good news is that Jesus does give us that faith. So what does living this life of faith look like? 
I mean, think about this centurion coming forward, having this life of faith. What does it look like? Well, it'll be different for each one of us because each one of us are different. We're all in different places in our spiritual walks where God has placed us in different places in our lives. We live in different neighborhoods. We go to different schools. We work in different places. It's going to be different for each one of us. But I think we can look back at at Jesus' sermon here that he's just preached and identify these four places and maybe get some ideas of kind of what we're looking at. So the first thing that we see is loving our enemies. I mean, you probably don't have any struggles with that, so we could probably just gloss right over that, right? No. I mean, this is hard stuff. And I don't know who your enemy is. But I'm pretty sure that it's the first time I said the phrase, love your enemies. Either somebody's name or somebody's face popped in your head. I don't know who that is. It could be a coworker. It could be a neighbor. Maybe it's even a spouse, a parent, a child. I don't know. We have broken relationships strewn all across our lives. Places where we have screwed up and turned people that should not have been our enemies into our enemies. But the good news is that God has come to restore those relationships. And he's asked us, commanded us to love our enemies. This is not easy. This is hard to do. I have some neighbors that I'm not fond of. That's putting it lightly. And sometimes as I drive by, I grip my teeth and I wave because I'd really rather do something else as I drive by. But God has called me to love these people and it's hard and I can't do it on my own because if it was up to me, I'd be doing all kinds of things and leaving treats for my dog on their doorstep. But he's called me to love them. So we have to love them. And the only way that we can accomplish this is in a faith and a power that is not our own, that is given to us through a power that is not our own. He calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to overlook the sins of others, to not worry about ourselves. And this illustration that he gives that I love is basically saying, Here you are trying to pick out this piece of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you've got this giant telephone pole hanging out of your own eye. You think about it, somebody's standing there and you're whacking them in the face with your own giant limb hanging out of your face while you're, let me get this little tiny speck out of your eye. Come on, stop moving, stop moving. No, I mean, really? Jesus, you want me to worry about myself first? But it's but look at him. Look at her. Look at look at what they're doing. No. Jesus isn't worried about that. We're all sinful. We're all broken. We'll go ahead and get that out there. We're all in need of a savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So let's stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Just concentrate on our own lives. Good Lord, I know I got enough stuff going on in my own life that I don't even need to spend all the time confessing my own sins, forget about everybody else's sins. 
But again, this is hard. The only way that we can do this is through a faith that is given to us by Jesus. And then he asks us to bear fruit. What does this mean? I think part of what Jesus means here is living out your faith. Because how do you know what kind of a tree a tree is? Well, sometimes you can look at it and you can identify the leaves and the blossoms. Well, the easiest way to do it is if you see an apple on it, there's a pretty good chance that's an apple tree. If you see an orange on it, I'm going to go on a limb and say, maybe that's an orange tree. It's easy to identify a tree based on the fruit. In the same way, our lives should be easy for people to identify our lives as Christians because we are bearing fruit. So what does this look like? Well, I don't know. Where is God working around you? Because here's the thing. God is at work around you. God's doing something. Sometimes we're just too caught up in ourselves and in our own agendas to see it. But what is he doing around you? Where is he working? It may be a local mercy ministry. It may be spending time feeding the homeless. It may be spending time volunteering with women who are in crisis pregnancies. I don't know. What are you passionate about? Where do you see God working? What about neighbors, family and friends? Where do you see God working in their lives? Where is someone whose life that you can begin to invest in, begin to pour in? Where is God working? What is God doing? Get engaged in the ministries here. We have more than enough children's ministries going on where you can be engaged. We have more than enough Bible studies and different things. I think if we're not bearing fruit, we need to ask ourselves some pretty hard questions about what do we really have faith in? Do we have faith in ourselves? We're bearing fruit for ourselves. Are we doing our own thing? Or are we bearing fruit for Jesus? When people look at our lives and they look at what we're doing, do they see fruit that makes us easily identifiable to them as a follower of Christ, a disciple of him? Genuine faith that's bearing fruit is attractive. I'm sure that we could all talk about examples from our lives where we've known someone who really, I mean, just was on fire for Christ. And that's someone that you probably wanted to spend time with because it was someone that was loving, someone that was accepting, someone that instead of pointing out your your faults and, and telling you what was wrong with you was nurturing and encouraging and strengthening to you. That's an amazing place to be. And with God's help, each one of us have the ability to do that. It's not because these people are super Christians or anything. No. If we have faith in a power beyond ourselves that is given to us by a power beyond ourselves, each one of us can accomplish that. And then work to ground your faith in Christ. You know, Jesus uses, again, the illustration of building your, your life Building a house on rock versus building a house on sand. And I'm sure we've all been to the beach and have built a sandcastle or something like that. And at some point, if you're building a sandcastle, either it collapses or the tide comes in and it goes away or the wind blows it over. But if you build your life on a rock, if you build something on a rock, typically it stays. I have some rocks in my yard. 
It doesn't matter what I do. Those things are staying there. And so Jesus calls us to build our lives on God. Engage the Word. Engage the Bible. Don't just read a Bible verse passing in the morning and say, yep, that was my Bible study for the day. Thank you. No, actually engage it. Spend some time. It's going to be a sacrifice, absolutely. You may have to give up some time in front of the TV or the computer or on your phone. But spend some time actually looking at what that verse or those verses, that passage actually means. Spend some time in Bible study. Get involved in one of the many life groups or Bible studies that we have to offer here. Spend some time engaging in the Word to then come to a place where you actually really are building your life on the rock. Get involved in the lives of friends and family. Come to a place where you're not just engaging each other on the level of the weather and what's going on in the politics of today. But in a place where you have people that you can ask questions and say, hey, I was reading this passage in the Bible the other day and I didn't really understand it. Can you help me figure this out? You can spend time together looking at things, understanding things, growing together. Find some people that are godly, that are maybe at a place a little further along in their spiritual walk where you want to be and start spending some time with them. Hang out with them a little bit. See what makes them tick. See how they encounter Christ, how they are working to build their life on Christ. Spend time in prayer. Not just blessing your food, but actually spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer alone. Spend time in prayer with other people. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian life. And I think if we're not spending time in prayer, A, we're missing out, and B, we're not tapped in to the full power that we can have. Ask God to give you that faith, to give you the opportunity. Come to a place where He is speaking to you in prayer, and not just you reciting off a list of all the things that you want Him to do for you. And ask God to strengthen your faith in Him. Because Jesus becomes both the object and the enabler of our faith. We put our faith in him because he is a power that is greater than ours. But the way that we can do that is through his power that he gives to us to be able to place our faith in him. So the question this morning is, where are you? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you come to a place where you've admitted that you can't do it on your own? That you need Him? That you need His power to work in your life? And if you have, then what's the next step that Jesus is asking you to take? Because Jesus doesn't ever leave us where we are. He doesn't want us to be stagnant Christians. 
just hanging out and saying, hey, I think I've got it all figured out. I'm good now. No. Jesus wants us to be like the centurion. He wants us to step out in faith. He wants us to trust him. He wants to be both the object and the enabler of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have sent your son and come to a place where we can have faith in a power that is beyond ourselves because, Lord, if left to our own devices, we will screw it up every single time. So I pray right now that you would help us to be able to come to a place where we are able to trust you. Pray that you would grow our faith because we are weak and we are feeble. And we are people that are prone to be faithless. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us the faith that we need. Father, I pray for each one of us that you would apply this to our lives and help us to be able to come to a place where we have a deeper relationship with you. We have a greater understanding of you and that we come to a place where we can bear fruit in our lives. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.